Welcome to All Things Beer, a Pat's Pints Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer. I don't think we normally get to start our podcast with a top of the morning, but we're recording in the morning this time, Pat. Top of the morning. Top of the morning to you. And we've got a very special guest, one that I've gotten to spend a lot of time with the last few years at Land Grant Brewing Company, Dan Schaefer. Top of the mid-morning to you. Top of the mid-morning to you. It's nice to have an IPA in the morning, actually. And after you know three months of wandering in the darkness of stouts, I think it's kind of nice to come back into the light. It's a little more seasonally applicable to have IPAs that have a standard weight as we're getting into spring right now and flowers and citrus, all the great things you think of in spring. Well, I think, Dan, before we get too far, the listeners should probably know a lot more about you. You've got quite an interesting background of training overseas. In so much as making uh, whiskey and spirits starts with making beer, uh, I suppose that was my training. So um, my wife had done her master's over in Scotland. It is a place that we love, particularly Edinburgh, and had always thought it would be great to live over there for a while. My tipple of choice was scotch. I went over there with an intention of being trained to make whiskey. But even over there, you're not allowed to make whiskey on your own. You know, I started out homebrewing over here in the, um, the probably year and a half before I left to go over there. Okay. What year would this have been? Uh, that was 2012. Okay. And then with a friend over there, I would go over and homebrew at his place. And it's like, oh, this is, you know, not exactly instant gratification, but it's a lot better than waiting, you know, a minimum three years to try your <laughs> yeah. product when you're making whiskey. But a lot of my research was based on whiskey fermentations, which, you know, uh, kind of helps with what I do now. I was looking to find a placement there. And it was during a time, and I suppose it still is, where the government was not very kind to people who were wanting to come and stay in their country. And when I had a few interviews with people who seemed to be open to giving me a position as a distiller, and then they um, heard about the hoops that they would have to jump through um, in order for me to stay. And as I said, each successive thing, you could just see like, their smile just start to like <laughs> descend their face. And they're like, yeah. yeah, we'll get back to you. I'm like, sure you will. During my period uh, when I was overseas, I did do like four month internship at a brewery down in England that did exclusively loggers. Okay. What was that called? Uh, Freedom Brewing Company. Yeah. What part of England? It's uh, Staffordshire. Okay. As probably on weekends when I was feeling really frisky, uh, I could ride my bike uh, about an hour to Burton. Okay. Oh, wow. That's like... Uh a historic birthplace of IPAs, you might say, right? Yeah. There's a brewing museum there, right? Yeah. Is that a pretty interesting visit? Yeah, it is a really weird time, but also very, <laughs> like you said, very informative. Uh, not very many people get to have, like, as their first experience to work at a craft brewery that does exclusively lagers. Right. So that, that, that was really interesting. It was built in sort of like in the middle of a farm uh, in an old sheep shed. It was pretty rustic. I also didn't have a car, so I was riding my bike to work every day. And I was sort of, often I was on morning shift. So at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm rolling past all these 
buxom <laughs> rolling hills and meadows with sheep and cow looking at me. It's like, why are you up? And more, more importantly, why are you riding your bike? Yeah, it was interesting. And then again, on weekends when I wasn't working, I would sort of go to the the neighboring towns and sort of sample the local wares. And so I guess I got a, a bit of a British brewing education via that. Yeah, that's cool. It, it was shortly thereafter school ended. Uh, the missus and I came back to Ohio and we're looking for placements. Um, I interviewed with a couple of distilleries over here, but I started looking at breweries as well. So my wife did her undergrad in uh, upstate New York, and she has a lot of friends sort of in Western New York. And one of her friends was in Hamburg and this Hamburg Brewing Company just happened to be hiring. I'm like, oh, well, we were on our way to uh, do an interview at a distillery and there's two of them in Brooklyn. So I'm like, yeah, we'll swing by Buffalo on the way to New York City. Uh, so that's what we did. Had an interview there. I think they offered me while I was still on the trip. You kind of have to decide now. I'm like, okay. I uh, got up there just in time to experience Snowmageddon. So that was fun. <laughs> Luckily, the people that owned the apartment complex that we were staying in, one of them owned an earth moving business because the snow was so deep that snow plows actually could not plow it. So they oh, had to wow. get an earth mover to come in to clear the parking lot. And I say clear, I mean, they just piled up tons and tons of snow. So our daily activity was several times going outside and just doing a loop around the parking <laughs> lot. And the rest of the time, yeah, we had a basement apartment. So we were just like staring out window wells, just full of snow. So. <laughs> now, how did you end up coming from Hamburg or Buffalo down to Columbus? About the time that the missus got pregnant, started looking at options to come back home. Saw at the time that BrewDog announced their plans to build in Columbus, mm -hmm. applied there. And let's just say they're a little bit more ambitious with their timeline, not knowing the American system of construction. And so <laughs> sure. I, I was waiting on them and hire uh, that land grant had, had hired to find talent, contacted me and um, said, you know, I think you'd be good for this position. And I ended up interviewing for them. And um, yeah, that's how I ended up at land grant. And the rest is history, shall we say? Yeah, very near history. Near history, history that's very right. Near yeah. history. How many years have you been at Land Grant, Dan? I was trying to figure probably about five. It's coming up on six, yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, we should probably tell the listeners about our journey today. So we had the idea to pull together getting into the promise of warmer weather, what we're calling the Columbus IPA six-pack. So we've curated six beers. We apologize if we left anybody out. We did have a criteria, though. More than one. More than one. The criteria was, one, it had to be within the 270 loop, which a lot of breweries that are considered Columbus breweries don't qualify for that with so many suburbs and urban sprawl that we have here in our area. Uh, next, it needed to be available in a can. Must be of average weight, so no double IPAs, no sessions, no hoppy pale ales. This had to be meeting the criteria of the standard weight IPA, and then also that it be year-round or especially not seasonal. So it had to be something you could get any time of the year, be it at the grocery store or most preferably at the brewery where your chances are to have the freshest IPA you can get. And we did pick up all of these six packs from the brewery? Of course we did, Pat. And just to stress how important it is, drink your IPAs fresh, keep them cold, it's going to fall off pretty quick on some of these wonderful hop aromas to be captured early on in the packaging of these products. Well, and without further ado, 
the list that we're going to go through today, and I'm going to start actually in the reverse order of how we're going to taste them. Okay. Spaceship number six from Lineage, Fisticuffs IPA from Sideswipe, The Scientist from Seventh Sun, Pack IPA from Wolf's Ridge, Oh Sure from Land Grant. Oh Sure. And we're going to kick things off with the most venerable beer in the list, and that would be CBC IPA. Yeah, that would be probably the one that's been around the longest in this town, for sure. Without a doubt. Okay, so CBC, and I thought every time we get into one of these, you know, we're going to talk about what hops are in it, available ingredients. A lot of this information was available just on a website. We had to make a couple texts or calls to get some of these stats, but... On the CBC IPA, we've got Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, and Centennial. And kind of hard to mess up that hop combination for sure. Yeah, I think if uh, you were to ask what kind of everyone's classic IPA combo is these days, Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic is kind of it in terms of the modern style, in terms of a blend of tropical and citrus fruits. That's the mainstay. Yeah, it kind of covers all ages, too. I mean, when you think about the evolution of the IPA, it brings in a little bit of that piney resinous, along with some of these more modern flavors and aromas that we capture on some of the newer generation hops. Yeah, I'm sure like this beer, like most of the beers on this list, I'm sure has gone through multiple iterations. And uh, I believe it used to be quite, you know, more sea hop heavy and uh, sort of uh, came around with the times. Well, I first moved to Columbus in 1998. I think it would have been available back then. Absolutely would have been. Uh, And I can tell you the hop bill would have been different. Uh, Some of them (laughs) didn't even exist at that time. Yeah, I was looking through these hops and when they were sort of first commercially available. And, you know, Centennial goes back to 1990, but then Simcoe appeared in 2000, Citra around 2008, and Mosaic in 2012. So there's no doubt that if we were to go back 20 years and get a CBC IPA, it would have been pretty different beer. But having said that, I think they've landed on a good spot. Oh, for sure. Now, this was packaged on March 22nd, and we are recording today on April 3rd. So only a couple weeks old. Uh, We did acquire this at the brewery. And I'll also note the IBU, or International Bittering Units, measured at 60. And the ABV is 6.3%. Okay. Uh, Dan, what do you get on the aroma and the taste of this beer? Usually the first thing I do and just get a whiff of it is you get some really nice toasty malt, which is nice. I mean, as much as I love, uh, you know, a real hop bomb, it's nice to know that it's still beer. Citrus-wise, you do get a bit of, like, orange juice and peel. Certainly Centennial and Mosaic, when you pair them together, can bring that to the party. And, I don't know, it's it's hard to pin down tropical flavors. People throw around... Stuff like guava, passion fruit, but most people don't actually eat. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, what do you got in your lunch, Bob? Yeah, I got a guava. Um, <laughs> although, I've, you know, I've tried to do that more in the last few years is like, I'll just go to the weird fruit aisle and just pick something up and try it to try to, you know, expand my palate. But this, I do think it has kind of that vague tropicalness. I suppose a big part of that is the dankness, if you want to call it that, a little bit of an overripe fruit stink that's nice in small portions uh, mm-hmm. when balanced by other things. Well, I don't want to say it doesn't taste like 60 IBUs, but the bitterness is ideal in what you're looking for. It's like it hits and then it goes away. And it's That's really nice. It, it adds to the drinkability. It's sweet, but not cloying. It's just a very nice beer. The color is a little bit 
lighter than golden, maybe. Uh, yeah, pale orange, pale maybe. Orange, yeah. yeah. Certainly things have trended more towards a pale color uh, in the last, well, I'd say 10 years, really. But um, yeah. people eliminating heavy crystal malts from their IPA editions. Uh, I know that we do that at Land Grant. But I seem to recall this being a little bit more of a caramelly color. I would say in older times it was. Yeah. And I think we'll find that's probably the common theme through these beers, that they're not going to be wildly different. Mm-hmm. The trend is, like you said, Dan, to really lighten up that malt bill and let the hops shine. When people, they do drink with their eyes. And I think consumers being more health conscious, they see something that's light colored and they're like, oh, it's not going to feel, <laughs> it's not going to feel heavy in my body. Even though, of course, people who drink 4% Guinness know that's not true. So, um, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, I'll just send off my soapbox. But, um, <laughs> ah, hey, this is your chance, that Dan. Was, that was, what, three episodes ago? I guess I, I missed my moment. There's nothing against the angry old man. Sometimes you just got to be that person. Yep. It's all right. <laughs> well, Dan, this next beer is going to be one that you're incredibly close to, the Osher IPA from Land Grant Brewing Company. Yeah, so this one I can tell you uh, definitively has gone through several iterations. The essential base hops mostly remain the same. Simcoe, Cashmere, Comet, Eureka, and uh, I suppose Columbus is the most recent addition to the party in in the sense that we started using that for bittering. 6.4% ABV, 45 IBUs, so it's kind of a tweener of everything. It leans more towards the juicy, but it's also not a hazy um, you know, we don't have a bunch of high-protein adjuncts in there. It's just mostly our silo malt, little gold pills for some toasty complexity and some wheat for that nice bread dough tang and uh, some head retention. But um did want to have a more moderate ABV. This kind of straddles that IPA, um, strong pale ale area. But it's, I mean, it's hop like an IPA, like two and a quarter pounds per barrel. Okay. So on the lower end for what we do, normally we're like around two and a half to three pounds for what we would call an IPA. And then after we start going to like doubles and Imperials, we'll go generally up above that, up maybe up to four. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're talking about that amount of hop utilization, is that include the dry hop? That's all, all dry okay. hop. Generally for Whirlpool additions, we'll do a pound per barrel. Okay. Again, the IBUs on this is more towards the robust pale ale as opposed to IPA. I think like 60 is a good standard bear for what you would consider for an IPA, but we wanted something a little bit, a little lower. We are currently pouring these into the Spiegel Owl IPA glass, which... Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. What a better way to enjoy it, or at least Dan is. Pat and I had to resort to the stout glass, which isn't too different in shape, but not ribbed at the bottom, mostly because we broke a lot of our glasses <laughs> on the Glassware Game Show podcast with another brewer, formerly of Langrant Brewing Company. Yeah, they took pity upon me because I also <laughs> smushed mine real good. Well, they're a little thin, and if you drink a lot of IPAs, you use them probably more than most glasses. Accidents happen. Yeah, deep sinks are like really handy, but it's also a farther away from your, your hardware to fall. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, Dan, you've used a lot of hops that might not be in the standard troika of what you would put in an American IPA, right? There's so many IPAs that you can definitely find IPAs with these hops in them, but these are just a little out of the norm for the classic American IPA. 
Maybe you can tell us a little bit how you chose them and how you think they play off each other. So this was um, originally kind of an iteration of our quadrahopic series. Simcoe is the heart of this. Ratio-wise, I think it's 4-3-1-1 on the dry hop, Simcoe, Cashmere, Comet, and Eureka. Hot side, it's equal parts Comet and Eureka in the Whirlpool. So the Cashmere is, when you open a bag, you get a really great sort of, at least I do, like this real tangerine pop. And then to a lesser extent, you get lemon and lime, but also there's this woody coconut thing that's going on that's kind of cool. Simcoe is the hop that sort of got me interested in hoppy beers. First time I had a Simcoe hopped beer, you know, really opened your eyes. Oh, like, you know, resinous grapefruit, mango, apricot. Uh, There's a lot going on. But Comet, it has a real candied citrus type of aroma and flavor, but also um, a bit of a grassy, a little dank. And Eureka is very dank, but it also has some very nice thiol precursors, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit, that we were interested in, some dark fruit character on its own that potentially, when yeast get a hold of it, can transform to more grapefruit, passion fruit type of character. And CTZ, I think we do a first word hopping on this, which I really like. Don't know if it actually produces a um, more smooth bitterness, but it makes the brew house smell really nice. So I like to do it. <laughs> it's not it, a bad thing. No, it makes me happy. So yeah, yeah that's why the, the CTZ is in there. Also, there is a precursor in Columbus, a thiol that has a, a peach character that I think is only shared by Nelson Sauvin. And I don't think any other hops have that character. So I wanted some of that in there. Again, whether it does anything or not, yeah. you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. So, Oh, that's interesting. People don't normally compare Columbus and Nelson Sauvin. I wasn't aware of that. Coming right off the more bracing bitterness of the CBC, I immediately get kind of the presence of like a mandarin orange character. The citrus really comes through. It's like oranges on a cracker. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty apt description. And I think also in terms of the bitterness and the smoothness, I originally wanted this kind of be like more of a West Coast standard, but have shifted it more towards what you would consider a hazy, juicy water profile, just to soften it, to try to get a little bit more malt character out of it, just round off the edges and just improve drinkability, really. Is that largely in adjusting the chloride to sulfate ratio? Right. So we already have like fairly high sulfate water um, at Land Grant. I would prefer to to work with something a little bit more neutral. Okay. So we bump up our chloride to uh, get a roughly three to two ratio of chloride to sulfate. And that's kind of where we've been operating on most hoppy beers. I will occasionally go something more sulfate heavy, something that's sort of classically West Coast, but I prefer that water profile that's slightly Mm -hmm. leaning towards Mm -hmm. the chloride. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking a little bit about the evolution of IPAs. We talked about, you know, the uh, diminishing crystal malts, but I think also maybe the mineral additions to the water has also been something that over the past decade has changed. Yeah, it certainly is a big change from the sort of, uh, you know, ballast point, bitter mm. face ripper type of, <laughs> I, know, I think people were working at like three to one sulfate to chloride or like up to like 300 ppm wow. plus of sulfate. And it's just, that can get pretty grating. You know, yeah. it was... Uh, you want a drinkable beer. You know, I do I like flavor bombs? Sure. But I also want something that I'm going to like, hey, I would like another one of those.
Dan, you're a master of hops. I've admired your work for years. Pat is probably very well known amongst his circle as wanting to play games. He is the board game master. Not only does he love to play board games, he even creates them for us to play, which is great, and often they're beer-themed. And Pat wanted to play, if I wanted this profile, what hop do I use? Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I mean, there's so many beers at Land Grant that I've had that just, you know, they just hit me with a certain kind of fruit, for example, and they didn't have fruits in them. You were doing this all with hops. So I think you have a masterful touch with connecting the culinary world of fruits with what you can do with hops. So I thought, especially for the home brewers like myself out there, it would be fun to say, hey, if I want this flavor in my beer, how am I going to get it? So it's going to be a word association thing. I'm going to throw out a certain kind of fruit or other flavor, and you just tell me one single hop, or you might say, oh, I would use a combination of hops for that flavor. We'll see how this goes. And if some of them you are like, I can't do that, you, that's okay. There's no uh, phone a friend, because I don't think there's anybody who can answer a question you can't answer and here, Dan. either they're at church or not awake yet on this <laughs> Sunday morning. I'll do my best. All right. So if you want peaches, what do you think? I think, actually, this combo is not bad for peaches. Um, El Dorado and probably a Zaka. I think that combo would be super peachy. Okay. Um, What about, I'll I'll throw out an easy one that's a classic. What if you want pine flavor in your beer? Simcoe and Chinook. Okay. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. What about grapefruit? Um, I think Simcoe Amarillo is like the classic combo if you want grapefruit, particularly that sort of pithy, rindy grapefruit. Oranges? And there are different kinds of oranges, so feel free yeah. to break it down into subcategories. If you want orange juice, the original um, concentrate combo was Mosaic Amarillo Centennial. And I think that's about like as close to orange juice with like the juicy bits in it as you can get. Okay. Um, are there any other orange variants? Like if you want mandarin oranges or uh, uh, blood oranges? If you oranges? want like an orange rind, uh, Bravo is most excellent. Centennial is great to throw into anything if you want a general perception of oranginess. It's got that great Fruit Loops character to it. What about lemons? Well, lemon drop doesn't hurt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's right there in the although, name anyway. It, it's a bit misleading in that it's not like the candy. It's more like lemongrass. But if you wanted to boost that perception, what we do in, in Lemon Glow is add some Citra and some Centennial. And then uh, Laurel is a great generic citrus booster. So any any citrus fruit, you add a little Laurel and it just boosts it up a little bit? Laurel, Cryo, Citra as well. Both of those, if you add just a touch of them, whatever citrus character your other hops have, it will enhance them. Okay. Staying in the citrus vein, what about lime? I think Motueka is kind of the go-to for that and i don't think i don't think there's anything else even close okay and i'm gonna get a little harder now what about if we wanted to do strawberry again we've messed around with belma barbarouge whole melon is fantastic we've paired that with um strata in our transatlantic double ipa and both of those have strawberry characteristics yeah, that was about really them. strawberry forward beer too yeah I mean, we touched on it earlier, but blueberries? Definitely. I, I don't think anyone apart from Mosaic you're going to really get that perception from. Now, let's go with fruits that most of us don't eat on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> what about mangoes? 
Mangoes, I think, depending on your source of Simcoe, you can get a lot of mango there. I think Simcoe Citra is kind of the go-to combo if you're wanting mango. Okay. Passion fruit? Uh, Strata, uh, if you don't mind it, you know, bathed in a bit of cannabis. Um, (laughs) Probably Strata and Citra together, really sort of over-the-top passion fruit. And again, we get to select lots on that. So um, all of our... Our recent double IPAs have been sort of based on Strata plus something else. Okay. It's fantastic. I love it. All right. How about pineapple? Oh, that's a good one. What we do for uh, Justin, this is your fault, Justin Wright. God bless him. Pina Pants is a combo of, uh, again, Denali now, Sultana, um, Azaka, and Citra. And I think they get you pretty close. Okay. What about marijuana cannabis definitely i would think uh see uh dank costanza in a store near you but um strata and ctz yeah i suppose you could throw out like you want something that's like ridiculously dank summit is right there with a little bit of orange rind in there as well but um yeah all of those three we'll finish with a couple of hard ones for which there may not be an answer black currants well that's easy Brambling. Yeah, Brambling Cross. Brambling Cross. Okay. Pepper. I say white or black pepper. Oh, peppery. Um, we've been playing around with Michigan Crystal. Okay. In addition to some really nice citrus peel that you do get a bit of both actually white and black pepper with that. That's a really lovely hop, oh, actually. Cool. Uh, Michigan grown crystal is super. Now, you mentioned, and I know Land Grant has brewed some beers that have coconut. Can you get coconut flavors from hops? Oh, absolutely. We did a double hazy that had cashmere and sabro in it. Okay. And, uh, or sabro cryo. Sabro has um, some really excellent coconut flavor and some tropical flavors. We sent that to GABF, and one of the judges accused us of putting fruit in it. Really? Wow. Okay. It's like, all, it's like it's, <laughs> the, the exact comment was, Does this have fruit in it? Question mark. <laughs> I'm like, No, bro, just tops. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's a really, really super combo I love. It's just uh, straight like tangerine and coconut, um, cashmere and uh, sabro. Okay. Oh, that's a really good combination. Yeah, sure. I like really playing on the fringes with like yeah. some of these weird non-conventional hops and let's you know see what we can get out of it. Now, are there any flavors I haven't mentioned that come to mind to you? you know, the one I've been chasing that I haven't really got a good answer for is guava. Okay. I know that there is a uh, uh, Medusa. It was originally introduced to home brewers before it was professional brewers. So when I do recipes, I'll have like different themes or like you mentioned the, the, the fruit thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll pick a fruit. And I'm like, all right, how can I combine different hops to get this character? So what I'll do is I will usually look at a scientific paper that breaks down the chemical constituents of that fruit. And like say, there's maybe like four different primary chemical compounds that make that up. I will look up each of those compounds and what their general characteristics are. And then I'll assign each of those to a hop. And then I'll break the hop bill down into ratios based on that. So, um, yeah, I haven't, I don't have a good one for guava yet. Okay. Well, I, I really love your approach and it does kind of highlight that our perception of flavor when you come at it from a chemical point of view, when you eat a mango, 
when you eat a lime, when you eat any of those things. There's so many different molecules in there that are contributing to your perception of the flavor and your brain synthesizes them in a certain way, right? And so when you have a hop, it might have some portion of those, but I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like you have a thing like a painting and you can only see 20% of it, you know, and now can you put all of those paintings together and have it look like a lime, for example? Yeah. Yeah. And some of those compounds, of course, there is like a direct one-to-one correspondence with, uh, with, with stuff in, in fruit. I mean, isomeal acetate, uh, that you get in bananas, right? That's a, that's a classic thing that you get from the yeast, from Hefeweizen yeast. And, and that, when you smell that compound, that one molecule totally signals bananas. Right, or stuff like a Nerol or a yeah. linalool. Those are things that are actually in fruit. Absolutely. So that and flowers too, though. Right. Yeah. And that's it's easy to draw those parallels. But then when you get down into something again, like the, those damn strawberries, when you're talking about, <laughs> you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of compounds, yeah. and some of them stuff that you don't want, like like strawberries actually have a ton of diacetyl in them. It's like, do I really want to create a buttery beer if we create a greater impression of strawberry? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably not. Um, but you know, again, that process of breaking down ratios of hops, it doesn't get you, it's never going to be a one-to-one correspondence, but it it gives me a, you know, a starting point to work with from a recipe perspective. And then I can adjust ratios up and down from there to get closer to where I want to be. Well, I think you've done a masterful job of it at Land Grant. I'm always really impressed by the variety of flavors that I get in the different hoppy beers from Land Grant. Well, thank you. I mean, I know, I know some people can look up at the board and like, wow, there's a lot of hoppy beers on here. But <laughs> trust me, like they are all very, very yeah. different. And, and very well thought out. Yeah. And the end goal on all of these is also very different in terms of both the end product and like where I start in my head in terms of what I want that product to be. Yeah. So now we're going to pour the Wolfpack IPA. Am I right, Pat? You're not right. It's not called the Wolfpack. <laughs> this is not the University of Nevada. This is the Wolf's Ridge Pack IPA. Yeah, Pat's getting used to correcting me on that as we've gathered these beers. But I think there's a little pun intended here by calling it the Pack IPA. Fair enough. I mean, this one is notable in one way. This is going to be the maximum on the IBU scale we're going to encounter. It's going to be 70 IBUs. A very classic hop bill, I would say, Citra, Mosaic, Amarillo, and 6.8%. So we're going up in ABV a little bit. This is uh, packaged February 22nd. So this one just a little bit older, although we did buy it from the brewery just two days ago. That's right. My initial reaction is kind of, this is a departure. This is a, a little gear shift here, I think. Uh, after the first two, it's only like a, you know half a percentage of ABV, but it does taste noticeably more boozy. I will have to say the alcohol is immediately noticeable, although I wouldn't call it a heavy beer. No, it's um, it's actually fairly light on the palate, and again, a very nice, pleasant, bready malt, which coming from a brewery that does lagers very well, uh, is not shocking. Mm. I get a lot of lime. I could see that. Definitely, it doesn't have that orange character that we were talking about, mm-hmm. for sure, on the Osher, but even a little bit, we were talking about that on the CBC IPA. So the citrus fruits here are in a different direction. I'm sure the increased bitterness is part of that, typically lime lime zest and peels. The, the perception of that is pretty bitter, even though, you know, aromatically it's sweeter. 
now, when you think about this hop combination, I mean, where would you think the lime is coming from? Maybe that combo of Citra Amarillo. Typically, I would think that, that combo of hops would give you something closer to, at least in my head, what I'm perceiving here. It is the only beer in the list that uses Amarillo, which is maybe notable. Amarillo is a pretty interesting hop because it's found in the wild in America, uh, not intentionally bred. And there's not too many hops you can say that about. No, I love Amarillo. Again, that's uh, along with Simcoe, one of those ones that sort of opened my eyes as to what a hoppy beer can be. We've used quite a bit of that and also the cryoform recently in uh, a few beers. I can maybe get a little bit of that berry character that you would associate with mosaic, but not so much the sort of overripe tropical or maybe this kind of like bubblegum notes that you can get from mosaic. This is largely a citrus bomb for me. We'd all like to say citra is citra and mosaic is mosaic and, and Simcoe is Simcoe, but it depends a lot on exactly when they were harvested. So, you know, what I can get at the homebrew supply store, what you have, what Chris has at Wolf's Ridge, they're all actually not the same thing. And when you're just a homebrewer designing a recipe, sometimes you're like, man, I don't know why I can't get the kind of flavors I can get, you know, that Dan gets at Land Grant or that they get at CBC. And part of it is just the quality of the hops that you have access to, right? That is a big part of uh, you asked earlier about why we chose the hops for Osher. All of those, and not the CCZ, uh, but again, we use that for bittering, but um, all the other four hops we do selection on. Part of that with the comment in the Eureka is Hopsteiner will allow us to do selection for our hops no matter how much we contract with them. Okay. It's completely awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because um, some of the other, uh, YCH is uh, one of the other places we contract with, but we have to have a pretty massive poundage of, of hops before they will allow us to do selection. Whereas Hopsteiner is just like, yeah, we'll send you lots. And um, that was super cool. So uh, that again, Osher was uh, originally a quadrahobic that I think variants is like 103, but that was Simcoe, Citra, Whole Melon, and Cashmere. And um, we weren't confident that we could get the same quality of citra and certainly whole melon, given that's a German hop, year on year for something that was supposed to be, you know, if not flagship, then something approaching a flagship, which I guess now it has become. But so a big part of that was I was looking for hops that could fit that profile. You know, Comet for Citra is not a one-to-one. You know, I think Comet has been called like baby citra before. So that kind of stuck in my mind. Using those hops, part of the reason why is that I can very closely control the quality of what we're getting, whereas I wasn't confident in the other hops that we had in that original recipe. Yeah, so you mentioned quadrahopic, and that's something actually on our next beer that's going to be very pertinent on doing some R&D in-house on a product that goes out to the public. With quadrahopic, that was the quest for Oshore. Yeah. And it was really fun for somebody that was in tune with that as a brewer, as someone that really appreciates beer as a culinary experience. I thought it was great to be able to see, oh, how's this one going to be? How's this one going to be? Wow, this is so different from the last one. I think that's really cool to be able to experiment around like that. But it is cool that also landed on Osher, which basically turned out to be your iteration of the perfect modern beer. 
Yeah, pretty much. And then it also allowed me to think about where the end place was for the IPA in my head. Going back to what Mark was saying, we're basically doing quadrahopic now. It's just that there's not a quadrahopic brand. So, right. you know, these type of uh, one-off IPAs that we have on the shelf are essentially just me getting to, you know, screw around a little bit. And, um, yeah, it's but, good. But, you know, also the, those beers are being uh, either piloted or I'll do something stupid and homebrew it at my house because I'm an idiot who still homebrews. Um, and <laughs> I really or, love that, actually, that you still homebrew. I mean, yeah, for, uh, sure. for me, uh, that gives you a lot of credit, I think. Well, it, there's things that I can't do at the brewery that I want to do. So there's not enough time, apparently, <laughs> at my day job to do anything I want to do. <laughs> Well, I think that's a great segue to our next beer, which is one that has a real interesting story to it, and that is Scientist by uh, Seven Sun Brewing here in Columbus. What's the story on this beer, Mark? So this beer, and as Pat said, a perfect segue in that this is always a science experiment. So Seven Sun has been making this for a long time as their year-round IPA, which is 7% in alcohol by volume, and also 70 to 80 IBU. Now, the reason it can vary is that they have changed this by only one ingredient as long as they've brewed it. So every single batch, they change just one ingredient. And Pat is over here flipping through what is uh, years and batches. How many batches are we on now? Well, I don't know if I can answer that due to their naming code, but I can tell you that this beer first appeared September 18th, 2014. Okay. So we're coming up almost eight years yeah. of brewing the beer. And it's very cool because they post online, hey, this is the brew date, this is the malts, this is the hops that we use in this beer. Yeah, we didn't have to call up Colin to get this list. This is actually, if anybody that's really interested, this is available right on their website. Just click Scientist Log under their beers and you can download the Excel spreadsheet so in the very first batch, the malt bill was 1,000 pounds pale ale malt and 55 pounds of kara wheat. And the hops, interesting hop combination, Horizon, Citra, Willamette, Columbus, and El Dorado. And this was the year 2014? 2014. Okay, and then fast forward to the beer we're drinking now. Let's fast forward to the beer we have in front of us right now, which is version 9BT. Brewed on February 24th, packaged just a couple weeks ago, I think. The malts, 100% silo malts. So they have simplified the malt bill a little bit since the early days. And here's the hop list. Sultana, Chinook, Simcoe, Lotus, and Idaho 7 cryo hop. Ooh, Pat, I know that resonates with you being from Idaho. Yeah, as a native of Idaho, I mean, I love Idaho 7 hops. Actually, <laughs> I think they're a really dynamic hop. I'm a fan of it. And also, this might give us a chance to get back into talking about cryo hops a little bit. But what do you guys, uh, what's your perception of this beer? This is a nice IPA, actually. I really like this. It is, but my, also my nose is very confused. I don't. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a lot. When you ask me to like pick some stuff out, I'm like, I don't know, man. When like, you're everything? on beer four, uh, there's a lot of resin stuck to the back of the palate right now that makes everything a little confusing, especially with these all being IPAs. I just had um, 
usually I, I force myself to not drink IPAs on Saturday just to refresh my palate. But I did have a uh, stone enjoy by last night. And this kind of reminds me of that in the sense that stone has that, you know, sort of kitchen sink approach to hops where they just like, there's like eight hops in it. And it's yeah. kind of like that stone character. It's like, eh, it's a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's a stone beer. I could see that. And this this kind of reminds me of that. It's just like, I can't pick anything definitive out of this. But in terms of like defining a, a singular character, I have a real hard time with yeah, that. Yeah, I get a little fruit in this. I mean, as you mentioned, stone, stone fruit. One of Pat's favorite <laughs> fruit to go to the store and try to find. We were talking about fruits earlier. You know, you were talking about, you know, how many people are eating passion fruit or guava. And really early on in the beer tasting, you know, I'd read beer reviews and they're like, oh, it tastes like stone fruits. And I would go to the store. I'm like, well, there's star fruits and there's other things. But I don't, I don't see any stone fruits anywhere. You can't find them. <laughs> they're just, yeah, yeah. Little education on my part. And so if anybody doesn't know, that's something with a stone in it, right? That's like a, not literally a stone, but a big seed in the center. That's right. Like peaches, plums, apricots, dates, mangoes, cherries. And I do get a little bit of that peach apricot out of this one. Huh? It's even like a, just a little bit of spice, like almost a, a cinnamon type thing too. I also think the more aggressive bittering on this does lend more to that perception that I have of mm-hmm. a stone beer. One of the things they have not given up over the years is they are bitter beer. <laughs> yeah. Some of the hops in here, we could talk about some of these hops because there's a lot of ones that we haven't seen before. Uh, a couple years ago, and we reprised it last year, Mark and I made during early days of the pandemic a session hazy beer with some hops that got sent to land grant in like little one ounce packages, right? That's right. As we went into the global pandemic that we now know and are hopefully feeling a little reprieve from had one of those boxes, Dan, from Hop Center. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't think anybody's going to do anything with these anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought the free hat home to Pat and I said, why don't we just try to make a really crushable beer? I'll have to say a little bit inspired by Lemon Glow. I mean, there was Lemon Drop in there. So a lot of the hops just suited the bill of a very citrus forward. And we said, let's make I think it was like 4%, right? 4, 4.2, something yeah. like that. And we had a social distancing kill the keg party. The keg was killed very easily. I think we had uh, Chris, uh, who is a former guest of the podcast. I mean, more former guest of the podcast. Home brewer Hans Gorsuch. Yeah. Angelo Signorino was there from Jamie Barley's. Gentry. Jamie Gentry. All names that if you've listened to this podcast Walt for a came. while, you know. Yeah, and, and Hajir. And Hajir, yeah. But a couple of hops that I think we used in that beer that stand out to me. We used Lotus, which is not a hop I hear a lot about, but in the description of it, I think there was like maybe a candied orange or something. Uh, do you have any experience with Lotus? Um, that's hilarious because I actually made a, a beer at home with Lotus that I got from a hop signer goodie bag. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Not having used that hop a lot, I wanted to get a sense for the character of it. It was um, Lotus and I think Lotus Lupulin on the on the cold side. Oh, cool. Like, I don't know, the the sense I got of it was almost like an incense, uh, oh, like okay. a jade type of... Maybe that's where the spiciness is coming from. Yeah, it could, could be. be. It, again, not unpleasant, but it's a very weird hop. And I think on its own doesn't really work. Yeah. But in combination with other things, I think could be very promising. 
I mean, that kind of brings up something as a home brewer that I think about. You know, when you look at these descriptions of hops or you go to the, the homebrew supply store and you look at like what it says it brings. And, uh, you know, we were talking about mosaic earlier and sometimes mosaic is associated with blueberries. But I think if you made just an all mosaic beer and I gave it to my wife, the first thing she would not say would be blueberries, right? You know, there, there are these descriptions, which are kind of the subtleties of what a hop can do rather than like the main thing it presents you with, which is kind of a hoppiness. It's all about setting consumer expectations yeah. about what they're going to get. And if I say berry, I mean, part of that is, you know, those flavors, they're super, super fragile. Yeah. Those chemical compounds that are responsible for those berry flavors, it's like, yeah, they're there, but they're underneath a mountain of other things. Yeah. Yes, if you look for it, you will experience it, but also it's it's not going to be like drinking strawberry juice. Well, I mean, one of the things in terms of your perception, when you talk about aromatic compounds, I'm sure you understand this better than any of us here. If you can smell something, that means it's volatile. That means those molecules are leaving the liquid, right? Yeah, for And sure. so something that has a very strong smell, you know, that's kind of what you're going for. But on the other hand, it's really hard to keep those molecules in the beer until the moment when the drinker brings the beer to their mouth, right? It is. If you can smell the hops in the brewery, it means it's not in the beer. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah, with, it's, it's been a conquest of mine, uh, certainly lately, to try to do a very low, slow carbonation on the beer so that we're not just ripping through it with CO2. Because all of that sweet, sweet aroma is going to end up in the headspace as opposed yeah. to in the beer. So we try to do that as gently as possible. And, you know, also we've got a hot pump. I know from past experience, but when we had the pump, you could go and drop those in the top and you go and you open up the bottom port and there's oh hops are again, right? Yeah. All the way at the bottom. If they're just sinking to the bottom or if they're floating on the top, they're not being incorporated in beer. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting thing that I noted at Land Grant when getting this hop rocket that you're talking about. This is something that we actually got some funding from the state of Ohio Bureau of Workers Comp on some safety grants. And for something that was a safety improvement, I would say it made much more of a sensory improvement on the hops of the beers at Land Grant. Yeah. 30 feet up in the air on an extension ladder with a 44-pound bag on your shoulder with CO2 <laughs> blowing in your face. It wasn't great. It's not a good time. Well. Yeah. So win-win. It makes a ton of difference in terms of extraction. Basically, it's beer by this time, right? Because this would be uh, in the dry hop. You're recirculating it through a, a cylinder or something like that that's full of hops. Yeah, Is that the I mean, idea? I think start from the beginning, you've got basically a conical vessel that can be filled with the dry ingredients. And it's got a port on it that seals down pat. You can still see into it. It's a glass port. And then once that's closed, how many minutes would you say you give, like per pound? I mean, is there any equation that you have on that? Recirking, we do uh, a minute per barrel. So if it's an 80-barrel tank, we do an 80-minute recirc once all the hops are in. In an ideal scenario where we're not clogging the thing up, the hopper itself remains dry. So imagine like a conical fermenter full of hops. What we're doing is pushing CO2 through to push that into the stream of beer. And then the hops go into the beer into the pump. The pump has little blades on it that chew up the hops, and then that goes into the stream. We get more out of our hops, I think, than other people do. We used to do CO2 rouses from the bottom of the tank, just blast CO2 for like two minutes at 30 PSI to try to get those hops back up into to circulation, but it's not the same thing as recirculating the entire volume of the tank. 
When we talked to Jason McKibben back in the December episode from North High Brewing, Jason was talking about some beers and they did the CO2 rousing and he was just talking about how much difference that made. And so, I mean, this is like the next level, basically. It is. And also you'll notice from like individual hop variant to hop broker in terms of the density of a pellet. And again, with the cryo, how sticky it is, those are not necessarily all going to perform the same way if you're just dumping them in the top of the tank. Some of them are just going to go straight to the bottom. Some of them are going to float on the top. Some of them aren't going to break up. So at least if we're doing it this way, we ensure that all the hot pellets that we are using are going into the beer in the same way. I think we're on to beer five now. On to beer five. So this is five in the six pack. You know, we are over at CBC for the first beer, and now we are going to their backyard. I think we've often discussed, Pat, that there should be either a tunnel or at least a cut in the fence so we didn't have to get all the way around, but they're practically neighbors. I'm just going to argue from a sustainability point of view that you have two breweries that are I don't know, uh, 500 yards apart as a crow flies and 1.2 miles apart as the car drives. So that doesn't make sense. It but- doesn't make any sense. Give us a break to where we could at least have a cut through. But I am now talking about Sideswipe Brewing Company. Fisticuffs IPA. And this one also goes back a while. Like Sideswipe was one of the early breweries in the craft brewery movement in Columbus, I would say. Yeah. And really cool now that they have Arcade Super Awesome. So in collecting these beers, we had a chance to play something that we've been really excited about, the Rush pinball game. Dan, I know... As a huge Rush fan, the envy that is building in your soul right now must be off the chain. Oh, Getty. Oh, Getty, where do I start with you? You know what it is? I can appreciate them musically. One of my friends, uh, hey, Gabby, she loved Rush, and I would just sort of playfully jibe at her about how terrible they were. And eventually, I took it on like as like a full-born thing. It's like, yeah, I hate Rush. Probably not to my taste. But um, I can understand how a reasonable-minded person <laughs> would listen to them and find that pleasurable. Just not for me. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, as there is a beer for everyone, there is music for everyone. So that's okay, Dan. I mean, I like a lot of the things you like. It is okay. We just don't I have know this it's one okay. in common. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for everyone. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, what do you guys think about this beer? It kind of screams classic to me. I mean, it's not too malt heavy, but I will have to say my initial impression is, wow, we got a little malt in the room now. Yeah, I don't know what their house yeast strain is, but it reminds me in a certain way of some British takes on American IPA that I had when I was overseas. Okay. It has a very nice, um, like you mentioned, like a soft maltiness to it, but it also, there's an almost floral jammy quality. It's sweet, but it's also floral. I get kind of a, like cross between like a an orange and apricot marmalade type thing on the back end. Yeah. There is a tartness to it as well. Not unpleasant again, but it kind of lends itself to that jammy malt and hop character. It's notable that this beer is only two hops in this beer. So this is the minimum number of hops, Simcoe and Eldorado. Mm-hmm. And this rings in at 7% ABV, much like the scientists. So we're on our climb, but plateauing a bit on this one. And 65 IBUs, which is, that's a pretty good amount of bitterness, but I certainly don't 
have an aftertaste of bitterness at all. This is a nice, easy drinking IPA and probably not quite as alcohol evident as the scientist was. No, that's, um, I'm really impressed by this. I haven't had it in a while. It's a nice level of bitterness, but it, uh, it's not astringent or harsh. There's also, um, get like a white grape character. And I have no idea where that might come from. I guess that Eldorado can kind of have a peach rings type thing that might lend itself to that. Yeah, we've discussed Simcoe quite a bit, but Eldorado is, uh, I guess, an, another cool up-and-comer in the hop world. Um, it's got kind of a watermelon Jolly Rancher character. But mm-hmm. back at it, when we were doing um, Lonely Hops Club, which was our single hop series of hazies, we did a single hop Eldorado, and it was overwhelmingly peachy. And we were kind of taken aback by that because you didn't expect. Yeah. Usually Eldorado gets mixed in with, with Citroen Mosaic. But yeah, on its own, it, it's quite heavily peachy. We got one more beer to go, I think. Yeah, so we're going to bring it a little closer to home now. By home, I mean... Not only literally all three of our homes, but the All Things Beer Studio here located in Clintonville. And this is a real testament to the local watering hole. Having a brewery that can have fresh beer right in your neighborhood. And I know all three of us really appreciate lineage brewing. But before we go any further, we've got some breaking news. Our local is going to be closing up shop on April 24th and Combustion Brewing from Pickerington is going to be moving in. Kind of good news to get combustion here in the neighborhood, but certainly sad to me to see the Lineage brand go. Uh, I think we'd like to dedicate this episode in tribute to Lineage Brewing Company and uh, Mike and Jessica, Jessica and Carrie, for all the good beers that you've provided us here in the neighborhood. We are going to be having next, just recently available in cans in the last few months, Spaceship number six. Now, this is not on grocery store shelves, but as we pointed out, go to your brewery and get the freshest beer. It's what you really should do for yourself and the brewery. This one is 7.2% ABV, finishing on a high note. Yeah. 73 IBUs, which I think also is a maximum. It features Citra, Simcoe, and Mosaic, which is practically the classic blend for the classic American IPA. The really nice thing about this for me is um, I get what I think of as classic Citra, like before it became the hop. The first time I had it was a great brewery, um, actually in Britain. They're the the first brewery to get a hold of Citra is Oakham Ales, did their Citra Pale Ale. Oh, yeah, I've had that. That's, so good. That's excellent. Yeah. And, but I consider that that's sort of my touchstone for what like true Citra should taste like. And for me, it's like increasingly... If you're not able to do lot selection, a lot of these hops like Mosaic, like Citra, end up just being dank bombs for people who aren't able to select lots. Whereas Citra to me has always been like gooseberry, lychee, um, with a little bit of dank and and, a nice citrus backbone to it. And I think I get a lot of that in this, and it's really, really nice. It is a good beer. It's one that's so familiar to me to go to. I mean, they've really refined this over the years, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they've perfected it. And, you know, it's not a beer that's trying to 
do something different, right? It's not, this is not trying to be like something like nobody else is doing. It's a great way to finish this show because it's almost like the culmination of like what would be the classic American IPA. Yeah. I, I think this is pretty close to the mark. It's trustworthy. I do think this is, um, and again, the, the IBUs are very well um, hidden. Yeah, very it's, masked, aren't they? It's not that it's lacking bitterness, but again, it's a very clean bitterness. It hits and it kind of goes away. Yeah. I mean, it should be said the clarity is excellent. I mean, uh, it yeah, is a very sure. clear beer. In a world of hazy IPAs, uh, this is just about as bright as it gets. And I'd probably say the color is falling in line with the last five mm-hmm. beers. You know, looking back over the whole gamut that we've run today, I think, um, you know, the early ones, the CBC IPA and those sure had a little bit more going in the orange direction, also maybe a little bit more dankness than we've gotten here at the end. But, um, I mean, this is going to be a very approachable IPA for many, many people. I'm sure my wife would love this beer. I, I'm not only sure I'm positive because I've I think it's uh, been wit- tested. <laughs> tested that hypothesis because it's just there's just a lot to like here. It's not a challenging beer. It's not a weird beer. It's just it's it's kind of like the classic of what an American IPA should be. When the, on the rare occasions when the missus and I get to do a day date, uh, lineage is one of our regular sort of last stops before we uh, trudge on up the hill. But uh, I'll, I'll usually have one of these when I'm not getting one of their uh, potato loggers or their uh, beet saisons. <laughs> oh, the beet saison. Now, the beet saison, yeah. even though this is not a beet saison episode, we should talk just a little bit about that. Pat, we'll have a beet saison podcast on its own later. I'm just saying people should try it. I you mean, should try it. Open your sure. minds. Open your minds. It's you great. Know, people like pink things, right? It just, you know, sometimes pink things taste like sweet, delicious dirt. Yeah. That's so, a good way to put it. Can't say enough good things about Lineage, so happy to have them in our neighborhood. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Great people. Well, I wish them all the best luck, uh, whatever their future holds for them. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to miss the beer. You know, they really honed their craft, and we're putting out some great product. And the food. I'm going to miss those hand pies and that tomato bisque soup. Oh, man. Yeah, pretty solid. I, I think one of the very few places where you get hand pies anyway. So it's all good. You know, life moves on, and uh, we just crushed through a six-pack of IPAs, none of which were hazy. I think it's been wonderful getting to chat with you, Dan. I know we've got a lot of history on Beers with the Brewers podcast, and so nice to get to hang out with you and have some beers today. Yeah, as I said, it's uh, nice to uh, drink in a different location, you know. (laughs) Yeah, well. Same beers, different locale. (laughs) And North High, we haven't forgotten you with North High hopes ipa but we've been giving you a lot of love lately i mean you've been on a podcast twice in just three months so that's another great ipa you can get here in town absolutely well i think it's time to uh do the cheers at the end so nice to get to hang with you dan especially this lovely sunday morning yeah it's afternoon now but anyway. we do what we can yeah. cheers guys. cheers cheers all rush all the time hundred percent rush, eh?